Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today's podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. You know that feeling when you drive down a nice neighborhood and you see that one beautiful lawn perfectly trimmed? What must it feel like to come home to that lawn? Knowing the work you've put into it and the pride that comes with that? Well, the same can apply to your body. Keeping yourself properly trimmed and smelling great not only gives you the confidence to step up when you need to, it might surprise and delight your partner. So use Manscaped. Manscaped is the official sponsor of our podcast, and it's number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology so you won't nick or snag your nuts. That's fun to say. And don't use the same trimmer on your nuts that you use on your face because... Let's be honest, that's kind of gross. So right now, you get 20% off with free shipping by using the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's armchair. Always use the right tools for your family jewels. Your balls will thank you. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis, and welcome to your vacation. I know you're all probably dying to see the big guy back on the floor, but I hope you all enjoyed some time away. Today, who's uh, been enjoying his time away, I would hope, our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's up, dude? Preston, the contractors are done. They left my house a week ago. I have been putting my house together, and I am so happy. <laughs> so, yeah, five and a half months later, I can tell everybody that's been listening and who, who, who's given a crap about all this is that I've gotten my house back all in full. There is a giant hole where the wall enclosing the stairwell used to be. We are in day three of our construction. My wife and I almost split over the curtains downstairs in the living room. There are so many stories that I need to catch you guys up on. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no. It actually ended up being hilarious. I was like, wouldn't it be so funny if a relationship split over a set of living room curtains? But that's about where we were at. I'm just kidding. But it was hysterical. All right. The man who's going to be visiting me in the mouse soon over here in sunny Florida, Mr. David Fisher. Have you honed your lightsaber skills, sir? Um, my daughter is working on them nightly. She talks about, we we were asking her actually just a couple of days ago, what's the one thing that you want to do the most while you're at um, Disney World? And she said, I want to fight Darth Vader. That's her <laughs> number one thing on her entire list. She wants to f- fight Darth Vader. Guess what, Mr. Fisher? Dreams so do come we're, true. We're planning. We're planning. Shirts. <laughs> All oh, right. Yes. We don't have Mr. Kevin Berrios with us. Maybe he'll join us in a little bit. Uh, But we're going to go ahead and start with Fish because usually I do this with Ollie. And I know that we've been covering this topic a lot with Fish. He's been using the handle to to pump this kind of stuff out. Oh, Fish, we're about two-thirds of the way through the season. And the first two sections of it couldn't have been any different. The absences of Derek Favors and Zion made this unit one of the three worst in the NBA through December 17th, 6-22, and 13-game losing streak. But since that point in time, as you've well chronicled on our handle, uh, the Pelicans have been one of the 10th best. I think they're seventh in net rating that you post today since getting favors back into the lineup. They've got the easiest remaining strength of schedule. They've got two months to catch up. What are your expectations for this team right now in terms of wins and losses? Do you think they can catch up to the Grizzlies and Blazers? Um, oh, man, I, I think that they can, but a lot of that's because the Grizzlies have a much more difficult schedule. And I think part of it's the fact that the time away has allowed the optimism to build. So I was looking at the Pelicans schedule going down the stretch a little more with a little more scrutiny today. And so the Pelicans have a grand total of seven, seven. Yes. I, I checked games that. against what I'm considering above 500. Well, legitimately, now, they are. You can say it's nine because the Grizzlies are all. Yes, but also the Pelicans are 2 0 against them. 
So I feel like the Pelicans have a very good shot in those. So they have seven games against above 500 teams that aren't the Memphis Grizzlies, who they've completely dominated in the two previous contests. Now, some of those have the feeling of schedule losses. They play the Mavericks on the road on the second night of a back-to-back on March 4th, and then they have an absolutely nasty stretch in the middle of March where they play at the Jazz, and then the following night play at the Clippers. Um, those are games that if you just if you just say those are probably losses, and then they also have a game coming up later this month against the Lakers that's on the road, and if you say that's probably a loss as well, so those are four four game three or four games now that the Pelicans are probably going to lose over their next twenty seven. You look at the rest of the schedule and how it lays out. They could win twenty games. Like I'm. I'm and maybe this is the optimism speaking or how well they've done just over the last 27 games. I don't think 20 and seven is an outrageous finish for this team considering how they've played up to this point. And if we can, and if the Pelicans can finish 20 and seven, that puts them at 42, no 43 43, and 39. Yeah, 43 and 39. If they win 43 games, I think they're almost certainly in. So um, that that might be a big part of the reason why um, 538 has them as the favorite to make the playoffs right now, according to their um, player-based forecast. Um, When I checked this morning, it was at 55%. So I feel like the Pelicans have a very good shot at making the playoffs. But simultaneously with that... I don't think that it's playoffs or bust for the Pelicans. If the Pelicans win 42 games and they miss the playoffs because it was really hard to make up for the fact that you lost 13th Street, I don't think that that's going to mean that this season was a failure. It's going to be frustrating and disappointing because at the end of the season, it's going to feel like they're just scratching and clawing and they can't catch up. But I don't think... You know, if they win 41, 42, 43 games this season and miss the playoffs, that you look back on the season and say this was a failure. But that, I mean, that's my opinion. Ali, do you have a different one? No, uh, before we get into Ali, uh, you guys can follow Fish at Fish underscore TBW. He's got all of this laid out really well for you so you can put your eyes on it. Ali, um, just to tag along with what Fish was saying, obviously history is not on the Pelicans' side at 23 and 31 right now. However, we can draw back the, the history curtain two years ago to 2017-18 when the Pelicans beat 15 of their last 16 opponents under uh, 500, won 10 straight games, and did a lot of the same things that we're expecting or hoping that they can do this year. Do you think they can repeat that? Uh, I hate being put on a spot like this, but yes, I actually do think it is possible. Because this team has been taking care of business, right? We have seen them come back, and yeah, there's been close wins. Whether you want to pick, you know, say the Sacramento Kings, where there was a two-point win at their place. The Pistons, you know, beating them at their place. But when you look at everything in totality, I, I like what Fish is saying. Is, is, is the, the bottom line is, there's only seven out of the 27 teams are over 500, that the Pelicans still have remaining on their schedule. And you've got to feel good about that because, as I've mentioned, th- these guys since right before Christmas have been taking care of all that type of business. There have been no bad losses, right? There's been heartbreakers, sure, disappointments, but there hasn't been those bad losses, the Golden State Warriors, you name it. So I think it is very conceivable. It's just really – I think it all, all boils down to is how are the Memphis Grizzlies going to handle the schedule. They have done well for what – you know, was was um, expected of their schedule, but even better when you consider their, you know, their youthful talent, whatever you want to call it. But they still haven't gotten their bulk of their schedule. So everybody, including all the projections, as Fish has mentioned with 538, but everybody else is saying that these guys are going to hit a wall. And you've got to think that they'll be lucky to get through it at 500. And when you think that the Pelicans could possibly go like 20 and 7, when they're what five five and a half games out, that it is very doable. So I, I no matter what happens, Preston, I think that this is going to come down to the final couple of weeks of the season, and that's all you can ask for. When you have dug such a hole like the Pelicans did this year, with that one and seven start, thirteen game losing streak in the Western Conference, mind you, for them to still be in it, I, I think that speaks volumes. But it also 
I, I, it, it looks really good. It, it's hard to say, and I don't want anybody predicting one way or the other, because let's face it, all it takes is one injury to knock the Pelicans really out of it, right? Say they don't have Brandon Ingram. First of all, they're going to have everybody back after this break. So in a couple of days' time when they're playing Trailblazers on Friday, they're going to have everybody back. But if they sustain another key injury that knocks out a specific player for, say, two weeks, then that's going to change everything. So it, it, it's, I think it's just foolhardy, foolhardy to guess as to what's going to happen here on out. But the fact of the matter is, when you just look at just the statistics, which the Pelicans have been doing great, top 10 team, over the last 26, 27 games versus their schedule. Yeah, it looks really good. Fish, the last 10 games before we transition over to you, the Knicks, the Magic, the Hawks, the Wizards, the Spurs, the Hornets, the Suns, the 76ers at home, then the Wizards and the Spurs, 10 very winnable games, uh, albeit the 76ers one could be a tough one, but who knows, their seating might be decided by then. Uh, Fish, you mentioned not missing the playoffs, not being viewed as a failure. We've got a lot of questions on this topic, one from our friend Waka Waka Wakanda. If it's not playoffs or bust for the Pelicans at this at this point, which obviously it isn't, what are your expectations? As you mentioned, Zion has been everything we expected and more. Brandon Ingram has been everything we've expected and more. These guys have been balling out alongside Zion in the lineup. Derek Favors has been steady. Lonzo, Josh Hart. What are your expectations for this core group of players going into the summer? Um, expectations? I... I expect that they will um, continue um, kind of the path that they've been on. My hopes for that core would be that um, Lonzo Ball continues to build on what he's done so far, um, especially in the last 10 to 15 games when he's been substantially more aggressive, driving to the basket, attacking big men, willing to accept contact rather than just bailing to an easy pass. Um, He individually, that would be one thing. Um, looking at Brandon Ingram and um, Zion Williamson, we've been so focused and pleased with their success so far on the offensive end. Um, these next 27 games, what I really hope to see from both of them would be to really start to um, clean up things on the defensive end. Uh, Brandon Ingram, his his biggest weakness that I've seen so far has been getting around screens. Um, and if he's going to play a lot more small forward, um, for the next 27 games since Zion is back in the lineup. So he's going to have a lot of opportunity to navigate and defend more on the perimeter. And with with Zion, obviously the biggest thing is his ability to diagnose and get himself in the right spot when defending the pick and roll as a big man in the NBA. There's a lot to learn that you just you don't have to you don't have to do that at the collegiate level where you can zone out and you can you don't necessarily have to worry about getting up high because guards in, in, in the NCAA largely are not a threat to pull up off the dribble off of screen handoffs. They might attempt the shot, but it's a shot that you're willing to allow. And that's that's not the case when you get here to the NBA level. So defensively, if the two of them can make strides, another area I think that we haven't discussed much on Zion Williamson that I hope is going to improve would be his um, contributions on the defensive glass, not just his ability to snag the rebounds, but a lot of times after a shot goes up, he tends to ball watch and not find a body because he's used to, you know, his entire basketball career, he's just been athletic enough that he doesn't even need to do those kind of fundamental things. He can just out jump people and go get the ball. And while he's still able to do that a lot, now even in the nba it's going to make his life a lot easier and it makes the lives of all of his teammates a lot easier if when that shot goes up especially when he's guarding um, a power forward or a center that his first instinct is to turn around and put an ass on somebody to make sure that you know he's he's boxing out and maintaining um you know superior position so those are my hopes for those guys and then further down the roster um, and I know he's my guy, and um, he, he's been my guy since summer league. I just hope that Nall can get out of the doghouse and get some minutes that matter um, from now until the end of the season. Yeah, that's a tough one for me bef- uh, before we transition over to Ollie, because I, I think there's a, a, a difference of interest right now between the front office and uh, Alvin Gentry, and that it seems as if 
The front office might be needling Gentry to play these young guys. However, Gentry's comments keep reiterating that he only prefers to play nine guys. So you see him throw, you know, six minutes to Nikhil Alexander-Walker, eight minutes to Frank Jackson, 10 to 15 minutes to Jackson Hayes, enough to get these guys feet wet, but not enough time to necessarily get them comfortable. And I know that you guys talked about this on the podcast last week. So, Al, if you want to touch on that, you can. But let's let's go over to you. Obviously, things are, are clicking really well right now. The Pelicans net rating in the past, uh, I want to say, 17 games is 4.1, uh, which is seventh in the NBA, as Fish put up on uh, the Bird Rice handle earlier today. Talk about the improvements that you want to continue, continue see to develop over the last 27 games this season. Oh, it's real easy for me. It's easy points. Pelicans defensively, even though they've gotten Derek Favors back and he has made an impact. And of course, when he's on the floor, limiting the opponents to one shot per possession, you still don't feel all that comfortable, right? With the team defensively and holding teams more than say for a quarter's worth of um, action. So I want to just see the easy points, which they have been coming in droves since Zion has entered the lineup on January 22nd. Pelicans are number two in second chance points since January 22nd. They're fifth in fast break points. They're number three in points in the paint. So I just feel like if they can just continue that, and if Zion's continuing on getting to the line, free throw line, say 10 times a game on average um, when he's playing 30 minutes a game, that's going to be disrupted. There's three more back-to-back, so you've got to expect he's not going to play in three more games over these final 27. But overall, you've got to like their chances for getting those easy points where they can score that 120 or whatever it is. And that's normally going to be enough because they're going to do enough defensively to slow down teams. And here's another thing. I, I, I noticed this, and, and I'm, I'm in the midst of almost finishing Alonzo Ball piece, and I have caught on to the fact that since – um Zahn's appeared in the lineup these guys are knocking stuff down like legit from the catch and shoot three-point range Lonzo Ball JJ Redick Brandon Ingram Josh Hart they're shooting well over 40 percent from catch and shoot threes since Zion has entered the lineup the offense is going to have no problems I feel like during you know the remainder of these 27 games so like I said you've got to like their chances on the outcomes of these games so I mean, the easy answer, Preston, here really is to me, I, I, I feel like they're a juggernaut that's just waiting to unleash, but it would make things a lot easier if they could just string together seven, eight, nine, ten wins like we saw, of course, two years ago when they made the playoffs, despite the Marcus Cousins, of course, losing him, um, but they got Nikola Mirotic. But when that team got it together, they were running off these win streaks. I feel like this team is capable of doing that and making up that ground that has really never and uh, been done previously, right? It's unprecedented. I forget what Andrew Lopez tweeted out about a couple weeks ago, but the fact is when you're this far behind, especially in the Western Conference, it's so difficult to make up that ground, no matter what, right? No matter what or what the environment is for all the teams that are involved. But you got to still like the Pelicans' chances. So I, I no matter what, I, I think it's going to be great. As long as Zion can stay healthy, I, I feel like as long as this team can stay healthy, Brandon Ingram, if he's not feeling the effects of his knee, which has bothered him on and off throughout this year from what we've learned, you know, if, if J.J. Redick, if Lonzo Ball, if all these guys can still step up, they're going to be fine. It, it, it's going to make for great basketball, bottom line. Yeah, we've got six players shooting uh, well above league average, four shooting over 40%. Uh, since Zion's return. Nicola Melli leads them all at 47.4%. J.J. Reddick's right behind him at 45. And yes, Brandon Ingram, Frank Jackson, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart rounds them out at 37.5%. So you're right. Uh, they have been split, spacing the floor very well since Zion's been reinserted into the lineup. Um, and and Fish, as Ali just mentioned, health is paramount. That's really the only thing that I want from the remaining 27 games because we know if these guys are on the floor, they produce. Lonzo Drew, Ingram, Zion of Favors have only played 211 of 5,500 possessions this year. In those minutes, they are 16.6 points better per 100 possessions than their opponent. When those five guys are together, they play winning basketball. So that's all I want to see. And that's because, Fish, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but the Pelicans do have a lot of decisions to make this offseason. 
And in order to make those decisions, they have to see these guys on the floor together. They have to see everybody working together because you've got a decision coming up on Derek Favors. I know you guys have talked about that at nauseum. J.J. Redick will have one year remaining. Etwan Moore will be an expiring. Uh, there's, there's a lot left to discover with this group, but there's also an expiring clock. At what point, like you mentioned, do you need to take a longer look at guys like Nikhail Alexander-Walker, or is it more paramount to play these guys who might be expiring or have one year left and see what the future is for them? I I mean, I, I feel like we're definitely going to get Etwan more minutes because he impacts winning. So he's going to continue to play. I don't know if he comes back next year. Uh, and I don't think I don't think the Pelicans are playing him with the idea of we need to see if we should bring him back. I think they should, especially. Yeah. I, I think I think especially when you're talking about him and to a, a much greater degree, um, Frank Jackson, who the Pelicans would have his restricted rights this summer. When you're talking about either of those guys, they're going to play because Alvin Gentry feels like they give him the best chance to win. Now the front office is going to be doing their work on the back end, but I don't think those lineup decisions that Alvin Gentry is making has very little to do with we need to evaluate guys um, for the long term. The only big decisions, in, in my opinion, the Pelicans need to make, um, the Brandon Ingram decisions is almost completely made. You give him the max contract. And then um, – Outside of that, maybe like there's the the Derek Favors situation, but he's going to play anyways because the the Pelicans are so much better when he plays on the floor and he unlocks so much for that starting lineup. You mentioned um the the five man group, the starting lineup, and one of my favorites because Brandon Ingram missed a couple is you can pare that down to the four man group of Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Zion Williamson, and Derek and Derek Favors. Those four together have played 123 minutes so far. They are posting a net rating of plus 22.9, which is simply blowing the doors off opponents. Mm -hmm. And that is their their minutes with Brandon Ingram and then the minutes that they've had with Josh Hart with Brandon Ingram out. They're just blowing the doors off guys. So please play them more. But I don't feel like the Pelicans at this point they have enough information to evaluate and they should expect that they're going to get the information they need. They don't need to make lineup decisions to get information. They'll get the information naturally um, throughout the next 27 games that they need. All right. The next four games are at Portland, who of course will be without Damian Lillard, then at Golden State before they go at Los Angeles Lakers, and then they host the Cleveland Cavaliers. So you would hope in that four game span with a shorthanded Blazers team that the Pelicans can rattle off three wins uh, in there somewhere. We're going to transition back to questions. Ali, uh, this is from Hot Pelican Takes asks, will Drew be in a Pelicans uniform next season? And while we're on this topic, let's just quickly, um, I'll, I'll give you about 30 seconds on each of these guys. Let's let's do a Jerry Maguire. Who's coming with me? Um, obviously, our core of six guys, I think, in my opinion anyway, Ingram, Zion, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, J.J. Redick, and Derek Favors are all just slam dunk certainties. There's, there's nothing but an overwhelming offer that could pry them out of New Orleans. And then you've got a guy like Drew Holiday, like Hot Pelican Takes asks, and uh, he's somebody who, you know, is an elite two-way defender. We all know what he can do. We also all know where his shortcomings are. We know that he's going to be very expensive soon. Um, he's already slated somewhere around $25 million this year, and then he'll have a player option uh, the following summer. So he's extension eligible now, Ali. How do you think he fits with this group? I love it. <clears throat> I think that when you look at all these lineups that we've been talking about, especially since Zion's been back, we have seen what this team is capable of in terms of just overwhelming opponents, whether they're good or bad. And they've been good outside of the Milwaukee Bucks who blew the doors off of that starting lineup. Um, everybody else they've handled. So, hey, that, that that's not a problem. So you like what Drew Holiday, I think, adds, right? He has never been, and we always thought this before the start of the season, before David Griffin labeled him, as being in the face of the franchise, putting all this weight on his shoulders, of being such a glue guy that is instrumental in winning. And we saw that two years ago, I felt like, before the Pelicans made the playoffs, 
how many key possessions did Drew impact in favor of the Pelicans defensively, right? I remember him getting a steal off Lou Williams against the Clippers. And there's probably at least three or four other instances in that final 30-game stretch where the Pelicans simply had to pretty much keep winning out. I feel like Drew is definitely capable of that. We have not seen the best of Drew, guys, this year compared to years past offensively where he's been consistent. You know, since December 25th, he's only making about 34% of his threes. He is turning it over at an, not, I want to say an uncomfortable rate, but at a rate that you just don't want to see out of him when he's not the legit number one offensive option. But despite all this, I, I think he truly is a good fit for this team. And the reason it gives me hope that the Pelicans and Drew will want to keep this a status quo where he does remain on the team and David Griffin more than wants to entertain the idea is a simple fact that his recent comments, right? I love that Will Guillory piece. And I, this is the second time I'm bringing it up on our podcast. But Drew basically said, I have never been on a team here in New Orleans where I felt like we were building towards something where I'm happy with where we're headed. And basically, you know, he can see a future, right? So I feel like it, it, it's right before him. I, I feel like this team is definitely carved in stone regarding those six that you guys already mentioned. So Drew is just an addendum to that. And when we've seen what these guys have done when they're all on the court, when they're all available, they are overwhelming opponents. So I think he's going to sign off on that. Now, whether that comes up and basically allows for either an extension by the you know New Orleans Pelicans franchise or the fact that he even wants to entertain that, who's to say? I mean, if I'm him, I've got a player option worth that much money. I'm going to go ahead and ride that one out. Um, you don't know what teams are going to be after him. I don't feel like he is as valuable as he was as a summer ago to where a team is going to say, hey, we want him no matter what. He's in our starting lineup. He's one of our top couple of guys in our roster, on our roster. So I feel like that ship isn't there yet. So I feel like for all parties interested, it's best for him to stay on because he has not proven himself this year. When the Pelicans had a lot of winnable games at the start of this year, especially within those first 10 games, he came up short. I won't forget that opening night game against the Toronto Raptors where the Pelicans, you know, gave away a certain amount of lead. I forget what was it, three, four points. But they ended up losing that in overtime. And then there was a couple other games they kind of just let go. And Drew wasn't nearly at his best, right? He was well below average. And people, of course, were lamenting it. And that's why Pelicans Twitter is so divisive on this guy, because he has been very hit or miss. But when he does step up, and I've got to bring up that Indiana Pacer win recently, without Brandon Ingram, without Zion Williamson, those 14 points in clutch time, those are absolutely huge. So if Drew can just pick his moments, and that's all you really want out of a guy like him, apparently, you know, we, we've seen enough out of his career where we think we can comfortably say, yeah, we don't want to put the the weight on his shoulders to win us games night in, night out. But if he can be relied upon just to provide that spark, that impetus to the win, then yeah, he makes for a wonderful third slash fourth option. So as long as Drew's on board, I think everybody would be on board on keeping him long-term. And I think that's what we need to talk about. Uh, very quickly, I'll say, Fish, that I think it's very important that the Pelicans... Uh, I, I would like to keep Drew Holiday this summer. However, if they do not extend him and he doesn't voluntarily pick up his player option, I do think you're in a tough position where you could you know, potentially lose him for nothing or have to deal him at the trade deadline, which would disrupt your season. So I do think that even though both sides are happy, an agreement and negotiation must take place this summer. Back to basketball and back to what Ali was saying, I think that's going to be the difficult or tricky part for, for this Pelicans offense and for Drew Holiday specifically is we know what a selfless guy he is but he's still one of the league leaders in isolation setup plays. He's very good at them. Uh, he operates the ball a lot. He's got a high usage rate. Uh, there's right now not necessarily a tug of war between he, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Zion Williamson. But in terms of usage, Lonzo's on the bottom of that. We know we'd like to see him with the ball in his hands a bit more. How do the Pelicans distribute the ball between these four guys? I feel like that they've done a, a a a very nice job of it so far. Um, one of the things that that I've noticed is 
they're letting Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram usually play a long shift at the beginning of the first and the third quarters. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming out on at the beginning of the second and the fourth, and they're pairing up Lonzo with Zion in those small ball lineups with Nicolo Melli, which has, has done very well. And, th- and that's that's one way that you can distribute possessions without – you know, playing all four of them all the time and you kind of distribute your talent across the 48 minutes that are allotted. So I I think one thing that we haven't seen a lot of yet that will be an interesting dynamic is the crunch time games that the Pelicans recently had right before the break. Brandon Ingram was out and you know, different lineup choices were made because Brandon Ingram wasn't available. They ran different kinds of sets. When Brandon Ingram is available, because we haven't seen crunch time minutes with Zion on the floor and Brandon Ingram available, and, you know, are, are how, how are they going to do that lineup-wise? Who's the fifth guy going to be? Because, you know, Alvin Gentry is going to have Lonzo and Drew and Zion and Brandon Ingram. Is he going to go big or is he going to go small? Um, you know, with Derek Favors or is he going to think JJ Redick? And then how are they going to run those offenses, uh, those offensive sets? Who's the ball going to go through? A lot of it, especially before Zion um, got back, well, got into the lineup, was a lot of just feeding Brandon Ingram, and he was he was the guy that was going to go and take the team to victory. We haven't seen a whole lot of crunch time minutes since Zion became healthy. How are, how are those crunch time minutes going to be allotted? Because we have the, the crunch time minutes that they have had. Brandon Ingram wasn't healthy and Alvin Gentry was irate that Zion wasn't getting touches, even though he's getting good position. How are they going to manage that? Because a lot of what they're doing crunch time that we've seen so far since Zion's been healthy and playing at the end of fourth quarters has been trying to feed Zion post touches and things like that. Is that going to continue? How are they going to run the offense through? Or are we going to go back to, you know, Brandon Ingram isolated on the right wing um, to, to do what, you know, he's kind of done for the Pelicans, um, especially in the last two months of the season. So that, that'll be the most interesting thing to me. How are they going to do that? Will they run more complicated sets to try to get a lot of motion because we trust all of these guys to make a play? Or they, are they going to lean back on Brandon Ingram because he's our most efficient scorer when it comes to creating his own shot, especially when the clock's running down? Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Here's a quick question for both of you guys. Since December 25th, right, it's a couple of days, a couple of games out of when the Pelicans got away from that 13-game losing streak, and they've, of course, gone on that 17-10 and 10 record. Who has been their best plus-minus guy in fourth quarters? Anybody want to hazard a guess? It's, uh, a, guy we, it's a guy we've been talking about right now. I mean, I, I'd have to go with Brandon Ingram. No, it's Drew Holiday, right? Okay. So I, I feel like that shows enough of what he means to this team, of what he's going to mean down this final stretch. And look, since December 25th, this, this, this guy has struggled with his three-point shot, with his jumper, you know, period, outside of just a few flashes, right, outside of that Indiana Pacer game and maybe a few others. He has struggled with his shot. He hasn't been as consistent as we saw a couple of years ago, or even last year, right, where that team – after Anthony Davis was, you know, basically, hey, he's going to play his token 15, 20 minutes. And Drew still led the team to, what, 5-5, five and five, you know, pretty much a 500 record against good teams. I feel like that Drew Holiday still hasn't been unearthed yet this year. 
So I feel like the fact that that plus minus is in favor of him, which is a plus 3.5 in fourth quarters, despite him shooting 36% from the field, under 30% from three, it all bodes well. So I, I think Drew's going to be instrumental. I think he's going to be pivotal. I also think that it's his time to shine. So basically what I'm trying to say is this evaluation period, if, if you want to deem it this for this whole Pelicans front office on whether you want to deal him this summer or not, may come down to these final 27 games. Yeah, that's completely fair. Sorry about that, Fish. I muted you. There was a little bit of rustling on your microphone. Uh, I was looking at the the last 10 games, Drew Holiday, since Zion's been reinserted. And yeah, you're right. Drew Holiday's been shooting five and a half three-pointers a game. I think that's a top three or four on the team. And he's only been converting about 31% of them. So he does get a little three happy from times. But with that being said, uh, from Christmas, I think until about the second week of January, he was shooting over 40% of those three-point ranges. So he's definitely a very hot and cold guy uh, with more often than not being cold from three, but when he's hot, man, when he adds that element to his game, uh, he truly is unstoppable. Like we saw when he returned against the Memphis Grizzlies. Can't remember how many points he scored in that one. Uh, just looking through net ratings. Um, well, you guys don't need to hear about that. Let's keep this going with Ollie. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the season tickets real quick. Cause I had a question from 420 moonwalker. Now uh, here's what I'll say. I'll try to be brief. Uh, I understand that the Pelican season tickets had dropped to one of the lowest rates in the league. Everybody was anticipating uh, a price increase. Everybody was totally cool about that. I interviewed probably about um, eight to a dozen people. I understand that the beer garden was, was, was a benefit while also possibly being an unnecessary expense. Obviously a lot of people liked it, but it, it is uh, not cost effective to offer that. I get that. I understand fiscal paper tickets are probably a thing of the past. Everybody's moving to mobile, although we recognize the Pelicans had some trouble with that uh, about a week or two when uh, about a thousand people had trouble getting into the game. Then there's the, there's the shortened payment plan. There's the discount card, the removal of those two things that some of the people I talked to coveted. Here's where you get me. Removing all of these benefits in one foul swoop, it, it doesn't just appear dramatic. It inarguably is. And here's what every fan that I spoke to said to me. The increase was too dramatic. In most cases, uh, for the people I talked to, it was around 80%. The team isn't selling. They're 22nd in ticket sales at home, 7th on the road. The team isn't winning. We're all talking about how they're going to win, but they haven't done it as of yet. There's still eight games under 500. And also, each one of these people can get cheaper tickets from secondary uh, markets and websites right now, like like SeatGeek, like uh, TickPick, um, wh- whichever one you want to peg. So they're not selling. They're, they're sitting in an empty section by themselves, being told that they need to pay twice as much next season. You, you see where the frustration gets uh, comes from. Uh, obviously, with a player like Zion is going to come interest. However, it's puzzling to argue that to fans who are sitting in empty stadiums who don't yet see that interest. And I think that's where all this stems from. I understand that some of these changes have been voted upon by surveys uh, handed out from the, the ticketing team. I don't have access to those, so I can't comment on, on those. I, I just hope that um, what we were trying to do is convey the words of these fans to somebody who might see them, might take note of them, and might help these guys out. Because at the end of the day, we just want these tried-and-true Pelicans fans who are so passionate that they're becoming outspoken on Twitter, reaching out to me about it. We want those people in those seats. At the end of the day, that's where all of this comes from. So I hope that wasn't too long-winded. Uh, Fish, I think that you're back Um so I'm not going to throw this question to you. It's George McLaughlin one. He says, do the Pelicans make the playoffs? I think we've touched on that. But his second question, and I think it, it, it is imperative that the Pelicans make the playoffs fish. If Zion is to upset John Morant and win rookie of the year, do you think there's any chance if he plays 35 to 37 games that he can catch up and make up some of that ground? I think we, we need to remember that the Rookie of the Year award is for the year. It's for the whole season. And while Zion is the best rookie, that doesn't mean that he had the greatest impact over the 82 games of the season. And I, I think uh, it, it, it's perfectly fine to me, especially with what what Ja has done up to this point that if he continues to stay healthy and, and the, the Memphis Grizzlies continue to play well, even if Memphis ends up losing out on the playoff spot to the Pelicans, if John Morant ends up being the rookie of the year because he played almost the whole season. So, um, but for Zion to win the rookie of the year, 
he's going to need to get the Pelicans into the playoffs because that's kind of his trump card at that point. If he can if he can guide the Pelicans into the playoffs, they pass Memphis. They're probably 4-0 against Memphis since he came back into the lineup. Then he has a he has a, a better argument, but I'm not going to begrudge the people who still say, you know, the season's 82 games long and Ja had a a, a greater impact over those 82 games. All right, I'm looking up some numbers, so I'm going to try to kill some time while I do that, Ali. But yeah. uh, if, if if that does happen, if the Pelicans no, I just, do... I just want, go ahead, you look over your numbers. I'm just going to say this succinctly from my opinion. If the Pelicans make the playoffs, Zion Williamson is going to win the Rookie of the Year. If he, he stays at this pace, if the Memphis Grizzlies make the playoffs at the eighth seed, John Morant's going to win. Now, what's going to be really interesting is if neither one of those teams make it. If it's whether Portland or San Antonio sneaks into the eighth seed, then I think things become interesting. And I think that's when you have to look at how much did Memphis Grizzlies really fall off a cliff? What did John Morant contribute over these last 30 odd games uh, versus what Zion does for the Pelicans. So for me, I, I think it's really a toss up, you know, I, I, I truly do. So I, I just want to throw that in there for all those people that want to lament how many games he's missed. I don't think that matters. What we have learned with a lot of voters over the years is recency bias does exist. So the fact that Zion has missed X amount of games, I don't think it's going to matter ultimately. I think what's going to matter is really how everybody finishes. Yeah, he's already got the highest usage of the Pelicans. Uh, he's their leading scorer since he's returned. He's going to have multiple opportunities on national television to win over voters, even if they can't, you know, upset uh, the Los Angeles Lakers in Los Angeles. To see him score 30 points against these guys and still finish the season, whatever it is, 26 and 11 to get them into that eighth seed. I, I agree with Ali. Right now, his rookie numbers have only been bested by 10 players and their players, you know, like Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Oscar Robertson. Who? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> the difference between Zion and these guys is obviously Zion's unprecedented ability to get to the rim, as Ben Pfeiffer touched on, as I've uh, tweeted out. Because that was a beautiful ability, article by Ben, by the way. Yeah. Beautiful. Because of his ability to get to the rim and to create open looks at the rim for himself, none of these guys are within eight-tenths of a point in terms of effective field goal uh, percentage. He is quite simply... His true shooting percentage is a tenth, is a full 62%. The next closest person I have right here is 55.7, Terry Cummings. None of these guys are close to what he's doing as a rookie just 10 games in. So if he's able to continue that, they're able to win 26 of their last 11 games after being 6-22 and 22 on December 18th. I don't think there's an argument, but uh, I might be a bit biased. Uh, let's let's get a little bit closer to the eating. Uh, uh, sorry, to the eating. I'm, I'm reading one of our tweets right now to, to the ending. Derek Fisher, this is from uh, Derek. Last man eating is his handle. I know you're going to want to touch on this one. He says, talk about the fall of Nah and what's next for him. <laughs> the fall I, of Nah. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I really don't think that Nah, like... I get that Nas minutes, the very brief minutes that he's had lately have not looked good, but they're so few and none of them have mattered that I don't feel like he's suddenly dropped off a cliff. I think he got removed from the rotation because other guys got healthy and there just wasn't a spot for him. And he has adjusted poorly to being a victory cigar. But the minutes that we saw where he was getting rotation minutes, which isn't that long ago, he was still great and awesome. It's just now they're with with everybody healthy and um, and Alvin Gentry going to pretty much I'm always going to have either Lonzo Ball or Drew Holiday on the floor. What Nob brings isn't in demand anymore. Um, and I don't, I don't know looking at the rest of the schedule, if he's going to have a very good opportunity between now and the end of the season to get back into the rotation, both because the brief minutes that he's had have been so bad. Um, the, the minutes in Chicago obviously jump out and once you get in the doghouse, it's kind of hard to get out. And the only way to get out, it's less what he does on the court and more what he's going to do in 
in practice and stuff like that. He's going to earn the minutes back in practice with this coaching staff. He's not going to earn them from what we see, but suddenly he'll start getting minutes. If he's going to get, if, if he's going to get those minutes, he'll get them because of what he does in practice. And the coaching staff says, you know what, he's, he's learned from what we were trying to get him to do and let's put him back out there. Here's yeah. one referendum that I want to mention. The Pelicans, I feel like, aren't doing anything unusual by not giving him minutes. Let's face it. They're in a playoff no, race. not at all. No, I know. But I just <laughs> want to mention to the folks that may be disagreeing or trying to wonder why. Look, you got the starters. And then you've got J.J. Redick and Etuan Moore producing. And Frank Jackson. You've got three guards. You've got three wings producing uh I don't want to say better minutes, but what the coaching staff is seeking, they're able to produce that substantially better than what Na has produced, right? So he is so low in the pecking order. He's 14th in minutes played since December 25th. And when you look at the Pelicans, of course, win-loss record, and you look at the total production overall, Fish is absolutely right. This this has nothing to do with what Na has or has not done. It's a simple fact of the matter is there's guys – producing better than him and of course hey there's still a playoff chase so you've got to go with those guys right absolutely i 100 percent agree and i i think consistency is such an important point here you've got to give these guys consistent minutes these aren't veterans these aren't each one more they can't come in cold and knock down a big shot when you need them to they they can't come in cold and dictate the offense without turning the ball over on one of the initial possessions these guys just aren't there in their careers yet uh whether and remember Everybody, uh, I remember David Griffin specifically saying this, and Alvin Gentry as well. They initially planned to redshirt Nikhil and Jackson Hayes, but they played so well in summer league and in the preseason that they thought, oh, we simply can't. So now they're kind of caught in this no man's land to where they're not getting the minutes that they needed, but they're not, you know, being relocated to the G League or whatever. So they're just kind of caught in the space where they're just waiting for an injury to occur. So everybody, I would just encourage to remain patient. These guys are going to grow into their roles. They're going to evolve as players. We don't even know what they are yet. We've seen glimpses against lower tier talent, but in terms of professional production against the NBA, we haven't seen enough to judge any of these guys yet. In my personal opinion, um, let's get to some stuff that Derek asked about um, some offensive actions that Zion can improve on. I think we've touched on that a lot. Let's talk about defense and, and hedging in the pick and roll uh, being able to dictate against two opponents. We've seen Zion switch onto those jitterbug point guards that you've talked about in the, in the past, David, and he's done very, very well, but when he's kind of trapped in that no man's land and he has to defend two different players that the handler and the roller, how has he produced in that regard in your eyes so far? That's probably the area that he struggled the most. And that's um, that's the area where his limitations um, get the best of him. Because while he's an incredible athlete and, you know, he has quite honestly the most explosive first jump that I've ever seen just in terms of not just how high he gets off the ground, but how quickly he gets off the ground. Yes, his reaction. The thing is, the thing is, is that a lot of pick and roll basketball especially when he's in that no man's land where he's trying to defend both players and the guard hasn't gotten all the way back into the picture you know what you need there that zion doesn't have is just length to occupy as much space horizontally and vertically and that's that's an area where Derek favors does great positionally in terms of where he is with his footwork and then also just getting his hands and arms in the right position to take away certain passes. And some of that Zion, Zion's never going to have like a huge plus wingspan, but over time, one of the things that he'll, he'll improve on hopefully because he is incredibly agile. And we see that when he has a full switch, he does quite well on guards when it's a one versus one situation the the complicating factor is when you're you know in that no no man's land where you're talking about where should he be like quite literally where should he be with his feet and his positioning in the angle and what is he trying to take away and what is he trying to induce the offensive player to take and he's not there yet and he's and the only thing that as much as they can run drills and stuff like that, the biggest thing is that he needs to get Zion tape. He, Zion needs to get tape of himself 
making these mistakes so they can go back with the coaching staff and say, you see what you did there, what you need to be doing is this. And then they can go back to the next game and say, and they can look at how these things have progressed and improved and, you know, build habits because these are habits that he doesn't have yet because he never had to have them in the NCAA. And now he needs to develop them in the NBA. And the only way to get there is to do it and to learn and to fail. So um, that, that, that is, that is the one area that I feel like is his area that he has the greatest potential to improve, but also the most room to do it. Yeah. And here's the important point to remember in all of this is the fact that let's just compare him to Anthony Davis. I thought Anthony Davis was supposed to be this defensive, um, incredible sieve on basically covering the floor, his position, his area on the floor, where he was going to limit the opponents. That wasn't the case. We saw this guy continually out of position in no man's land, making wrong decisions to where it really impacted the Pelicans defense. So this by far and away is not something unprecedented, guys. This is something that is truly something (laughs) that happens in the NBA where you either know how NBA team schemes go, where you should be positioning wise defensively for your rotations to rebounding all of the above. Zion doesn't have that yet. Just like Anthony Davis didn't have it for a good three years, right? He didn't really, I feel like, made strides in that area until that playoff season of 2014-15. So, to me, I find this absolutely right in line with what's what's expected of these bigs that come in, in the league. And, David, you've always mentioned this, right, in our group chats to where it really takes these bigs a couple of years to really figure that type of uh, – that those types of uh, par- the parts of the game um, to where they they can at least be average, to where they can actually be acceptable. So for Zion right now, I'm looking at stats right now. I just pulled it up for kicks um, around the rim. You know what he's given up, which is surprising with his athleticism, his bulk. He's given up 80 percent uh, field goal percentage to the opponents. So basically, the opponents are having no problems scoring against him once they're inside the arc and that or inside the arc inside that three foot circle around the rim. So. This, this isn't a surprise. This is not something, like I said, unprecedented. So I think you're right, David. If he can improve, that's where it's going to improve. Uh, the improvements can come from the most. But I'm not expecting them to happen this year. I think it's probably going to take him a good year or two. But that's all decision-making, and that's what makes me, uh, I, don't, I don't know, so optimistic about the, the the future for Zion on the defensive end. Physically, he's got all the tools you need to bang against the fours and the fives. We've seen what he can do against Colin Sexton on, on the perimeter, uh, trying to trying to take him off the dribble. All the tools are there. Like uh, Fish said, if you're going to have him at the five, you want a bit more length. But in terms of his effect at both the four and the five, 10.2 points uh, per 100 possessions better than opponents at the four, which is in the 91st percentile, 22.8 on the defensive side of the floor. And on the defensive side of the end, he's at the 91st percentile or better, uh, the Pelicans are, I should say, when Zion's on the floor. So a lot to be excited about. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up because we're about the 50-minute mark. Uh, Fish, some parting shots, anything you want to tell our listeners or, or uh, subscribers that we haven't addressed yet in this pod? Ooh. Man, it's it's just a hard week. It's such a hard week with no <laughs> NBA basketball. I tried to watch some college basketball just to say, hey, what are guys, you know, in the late lottery or sorry. Know, early <laughs> mid of the first round um, that might fit for this team that I could, you know, do a little bit of research on. And I check on the Florida State game and one of the guys that they have in the, and I can't even remember his name because he was, he's just completely invisible. I'm like, Oh, so I guess not. Um, and I just can't wait until we get real NBA basketball back on the court. Um, and then the other thing going back to the all-star game, since we haven't potted before that, the Elam ending is awesome. And the sooner yes. that the NBA can adopt it league wide, maybe not for the whole fourth quarter, but you know, they have that media timeout after the, the, after, you know, the first dead ball under three minutes from there, you know, you know, you're going to, the next seven points wins, um, you know, seven for, on top of whatever the team that has the lead is um, because it was, it was so good just not to have 
complete just trying to run out the clock like the end of that game if they would have just played out the fourth quarter would not have been anything like what we experienced and i hope that the the best place to probably start it would be the summer league and they could probably do the summer league this summer as kind of their experiment factory and then if that goes well they can roll it into the g league and eventually give it a couple of years and then bring it to the nba um league wide but i i thought it was awesome Ali, do you think it's a small sample size do you think this is something that uh could I don't, I, not necessarily become redundant, but but could lose some of its glimmer after a season of the Elam rule. Do you think it could be something that becomes a permanent part of the NBA? Oh, I don't think it's going to happen quickly, especially not in regular season or playoff games. For the simple fact that it's such a big, you know, I mean, let, let's face it, it, it's totally taking stride from what's happened previously all through history where the shot clock that the, the, sh- the clock in general has mattered and all of a sudden you're going to say okay the final 12 well, it's going to come down to whatever you want to put the 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 the, uh, the the divide at all of a sudden that score is going to dictate how the rest of the game plays out i, I think that's enormous I, and i don't see it honestly happening in my lifetime but i love the elam ending and and i think it is wonderful what it did for the uh all-star game i feel like that boy that all-star game needed so much help and i won't forget when kevin and i were there in person watching steph curry fall to the floor in was the first or second quarter in skc when anthony davis whoever was going in at the rim he just laid flat he he just like okay i ain't gonna try and defensively i'm just gonna lay down in front of the free throw line and he basically hey here's my white flag and go ahead and score so they needed it, but I don't feel like regular season games or playoff games need that. So that's what it comes down to, down for me. So I don't see any reason to mess with what is currently the format now, right? Yeah, I enjoy the game the way it is played now. I, th- I think they're both excellent endings. I think they're both different endings. I'm not sure that the Elam ending is necessarily better. I think that it can be. But I also enjoy the way that the game is played now. I understand that it would be nice to eliminate timeouts, to eliminate commercial breaks, make the game faster. And there are ways that they can clean up uh, the game ending on a foul. Uh, if you've listened to Zach Lowe's recent podcast with Nick Elam, they address that. It's about 30 minutes long. It's a pretty easy listen. Highly recommend it. Uh, Fish, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, the the NBA is littered with changes that felt like that they were going to break the game. They implemented a shot clock. They started tracking blocks and steals. They added a three-point line. Yes. They moved the three-point line in. They moved the three-point line back out. Um, you, you want to talk about a, a massive change that occurred relatively recently in our, you know, in our basketball fandom, um, they completely revamped, um, illegal defense. I mean, illegal defense, mm-hmm. h- how NBA teams play defense in the past 15 years is unrecognizable to the highlights, even that you watch of the Jordan era, which doesn't seem that terribly long ago. Um, so the basketball has continually changed substantially. So, um, so I, I don't feel like what the Elam ending is proposing is a terrible change. And the other thing that when you really think about it, the Elam ending changes it to a game of basketball that is the the version of basketball most basketball fans play. Most basketball fans don't play with a clock or a shot clock at all. They play to a score in a pickup game. They play to 11 by ones and twos. Um, So I I don't feel like it's that terrible a change. And the the one thing that I did notice on Twitter and during the game is it went from this is going to be complicated to they put this is the target score and it didn't take people long to figure out the gravity of it and how it functioned so and and that was you know after weeks of ridicule of the change so the basketball has continually changed it will continue to change even without adding the elam ending um but i i think it would be a wonderful 
All right, here's the bottom line, right, Preston? The product is good in the regular season, right? Even though you got to sit through it and you're the one that's always tapping his watch, especially for games to start, just like it is for games to finish, I still feel like nobody's really upset by that as to where before the All-Star game needed, like, you know, cardiac arrest, right? You got a patient. Oh, my God, he's not breathing. We got to bring him back to life as soon as possible. That needed the jump start. This regular season doesn't need that. Yeah, just removing two timeouts from each team and starting the game 15 minutes earlier, I think gives you a two-hour, two-hour, 15-minute product. Let's get out of here, Ollie. Last question. This just came in from Christopher Henry. What's the deal with Kenrich Williams? What's his future when he's healthy? Is he a part of this rotation? Yeah, he's been a surprise in terms of how long it's taken for him to get back from, what was it, lower back spasms, soreness, whatever it was. I don't even know exactly what the term is because I've never been giving a definite um, diagnosis as to what's been ailing him. So I'm expecting him, of course, to be back because he's at least been shooting now. I, I know with the team for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, and he's been going through a lot of other stuff. So I expect him to be an option for Alvin Gentry. But as far as his role, I mean, let's face it, there's, there's a top seven hierarchy without a doubt that New, or- New Orleans Pelicans already have and Alvin Gentry's got use of. So Kenrich doesn't play all too well into that when you consider the small ball era and what it takes to win and how all you really need is this one big. I'm not sure how Kenrich fits when he just can't knock down a jump shot, when he is not able to basically live in the paint. He's going to grab those offensive rebounds, put them back or make something positive. He's not doing enough positives. It hasn't previously to where I feel like he's deserving of jumping right into this rotation. All right, guys, we got to get out of here. We are at the hour mark. Thank you so much. Uh, thank thank you all of our listeners and supporters just for being uh, so super positive. There's so much negativity out there in the world. We're all just lovers of the game and lovers of basketball. So big shout out to you uh, for, for being a proponent of the game and for being a supportive presence on social media and elsewhere. Uh, remember, if you like what you're hearing, if you like this podcast, just retweet it, share, rate us on iTunes. It's a big help. Uh, if you already have, just steal somebody else's phone and do it on theirs too. Uh, for Ali, you guys can follow him at Ali Cosell, fish at fish underscore TBW. I'm Preston Ellis. Let's dance and let's go pals. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today